Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Joshua. We're going to be looking at the first, uh, in and out of the first seven chapters of this Old Testament book as Drake set us up uh, previously in our series, Liberated. We have learned what kind of person God frees. We've learned how God frees us and for what purpose. Drake brought us last week. For what purpose does God free us? To, To take us in to a promised land that's not just a place, but it's a livelihood, it's, a, it's an experience, it's the presence of God. And I'm going to be talking to you as we open Joshua, I want you to see it as a sequel. Well, what's a sequel? It's a book or a movie that continues a story begun by another. It's a continuation of a story that needs to be told that grows and grows and grows. And so I need some audience participation. I know that it's eight o'clock on a Sunday morning, but I think you guys have the character to do this. All right. Are you with me? I want you to agree or disagree with me when I tell you that I think some of the greatest sequels ever produced were examples like The Godfather 2. Oh, I got no, yeah, this is a good start, okay? Star Wars, the original first three. Okay, Toy Story 2, 3, and 4. Yeah, now I want you to shame Drake Holderman. He stood on this stage last week and he said something dumb about the Cubs in the midst of some other great ideas. And then he told me in the office, and Tammy Stevens is in here. She can I, uh, give testimony to this. He said that Toy Story 2 and 3 were lame. So you need to say goodbye to Drake. He'll be released tomorrow morning as soon as he comes to the office. Rocky 2? Terminator 2. The entire uh, Bourne series. The Lord of the Rings trilogy. All right. Now some of you just quit trying, okay? Because you're like, movies, what are those? Okay, let's try these. Here are some not-so-great sequels. Every Home Alone movie after the first Home Alone movie. All right. Blues Brothers 2000. Oh, rough. Godfather 3, the worst sequel of all time. Eh, okay, I didn't get that one. How about Indiana Jones at 75, The Search for the Lost Memory? Okay, they didn't make that, but if they did, that would be horrible. Okay, so I want you to see that the book of Joshua is actually a sequel to the book of Exodus, and not just slightly a sequel, an intentional sequel. That's why I've uh, entitled today's message, Exodus, the Next Generation, because it's exactly what it's talking about. The Exodus has reached its moment where God has delivered them to the promised land, but you know the story if you've read Exodus. It took them 40 days to get there. It took them 40 years to get back there. Why? because of their disobedience. You might remember that Moses sent 12 spies into the land after 40 days. They traveled intentionally a long way away so God could gather their attention. He gets them to the promised land. They send in 12 spies, 10 come back, and they're so overwhelmed by the size of the, of the fortresses and the armies and everything that's in the land, they become overwhelmed by what they can't do. And so the 12 come out, 10 say we can't, Joshua and Caleb come back and say, no, no, it's not about us. It's about our God. Our God can deliver this just like he said he could. He parted the Red Sea. He delivered us from Pharaoh's hand. And yet the crowd goes with, as we often do, the majority of faithlessness instead of the minority of faithfulness. And God says, okay, 
because you did not trust me after all I've demonstrated, because you do not trust me, anyone over the age of 20 does not get to go into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. Israel is supposed to be living in houses rather than tents. They're supposed to be eating milk and honey rather than manna and quail. And ultimately, they're to worship in the grand temple rather than in a temporary mobile home for God. Here's what I want you to know about the sequel. Our generation of faith must learn the exact lessons our forefathers of faith had to learn. You and I do not learn faith by reading other people's stories. We learn faith by living out what they lived out. Faith must be mine before it can ever be real. You see, what is required to get to Canaan is what is required to live in Cana. If it's not just going, it's arriving. Drake premised this so well last week that it's the, the important part is not just the journey, but it's the destination. But the journey and the destination are one and the same when we walk by faith. So God is processing all of us on this journey. That's why the Exodus theme is found throughout Scripture over and over. It's not just Moses' story. You're going to find out it's Joshua's story. And if you pay attention for the entire series, I hope it's your story. I hope you and I will journey the way they journey because God is not only freeing us individually, he's shaping us for freedom. Let's, let's see what it looks like in the story of Joshua. God's liberation requires courage and resolve. It requires that we not only are courageous and trust God, but that we give our allegiance to God and we commit to him. Let's begin in chapter one, verse one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. Verse 5, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I want to remind you all the way back to the very first week in this series, if you were with us, in the first three chapters of Exodus, God went out of his way to prove to Moses that it was not about what Moses could do, it was about what God would do. It's not about our ability or inability. It's not about our confidence or lack of confidence. It's not about our experiences or our lack of experiences. It's about the mighty arm of God that he will deliver. And when Moses understood that, Moses became a mediator for God's will on earth. And so will Joshua. In fact, I think it's significant. Names matter in the Bible. If you did not notice it in the book of Exodus, you'll notice that Moses renamed Joshua. His name means the Lord saves. Moses wanted Joshua to remember that who does what matters and who does it well matters most. So he's to trust the guidance of God and God's desires are clear. Look at verse six. You're gonna see a reoccurring uh, theme here, a refrain. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything within it, written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God be, will be with you wherever you go. God is making a, 
a strong point here. His desires are very clear. He's not asking for supernatural. He's not asking for something beyond. He's not asking for a sacrifice that kills a life. He actually is asking for us to listen, to trust, and to obey. This is what God desires for all of us. He doesn't desire that we attend. He doesn't desire that we occasionally think about. And he doesn't uh, intend that we just honor on occasion good things. Listen, trust, and obey. Read the words. Meditate on the words. And then live the words out. And this is Joshua's command. Joshua, I'm asking you to show strength and to show courage and watch me deliver. But it's not just Joshua who must show courage. Something significant happens in chapter 2. Joshua then does something which I think is, I want you to notice this. I've told you, you know, what I've told you to tell you this. Joshua then decides to send two spies into the Chicana land. Which is quite interesting because Joshua was one of the 12 that went in the first time. Ten came out and said, no, we can't. Two said we could. So when Joshua gets a chance to send spies in, how many does he choose? Two. I think he's learned large committees don't work. Verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly set two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land, verse 4. But the women had taken the two men and hidden them, verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in the country are melting in fear of you. Then she recounts some of the battles that she's heard that they won under Moses' leadership, verse 11. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. Verse 14. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord God gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was a part of the city wall. Verse 17. Now the men had said to her, the oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brother and your whole family into your house. Verse 21, agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. This harkens back to the 12 spies and now the two. They enter in. They enter into a, a house of a prostitute. And I want to remind you, every time we talk about this, remember in these days, a prostitute probably was not by her own choice. She had no husband. She had no one to protect and care for her. She could not go out and make a living to, to provide for her family. She did what she had to do. Judge it not, but understand the desperation of this woman. And yet when she meets these men, she realizes that they come from the God who can deliver her. She is living in fear, but her fear is not of the king of Jericho. Her fear is a healthy fear. It's of the Lord God Almighty. So she chooses in the midst of horrible situation to make a choice that protects. You see, faithful liberation by the hand of God will always require courage and resolve. It will always require that we step beyond our own strength and give our allegiance completely to God. 
The second thing we learn is that God's liberation requires remembering his faithfulness. Some significant things happen in the first few chapters of Joshua that are worth noting. Joshua chapter 4, verses 1, and, 1, 2, and 3. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them at the very place where you stay tonight. This is one of my, my favorite stories in the entire Old Testament passage of Joshua. And it's this, that they go to cross the river and God does something with them because he is calling them to show courage and resolve. So he tells the priest, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant on the poles. You're to hold it on your shoulders as you have been trained and taught. This is how you're going to carry my ark. And you're going to enter into the river. The Bible says it was springtime. So the river had swelled to the, to the flow out of the mountains. So it was at its peak, probably over its normal edges. And the, the priests have to walk into the water. Now the water is flowing at a spring's pace. It is moving quickly. And they have to enter into it with the ark. In fact, this is such a holy moment that they're told that the, the, everybody else who's not a priest is to stand 3,000 thousand feet back lest they come too close to the ark and when the priests enter into the river it says upstream God put his mighty hand in the river now unless you're a Monty Python fan I don't think it was an actual hand but he stops the water the moment they show faith and when they enter in and as the water begins to rise up on the priests, up to their chest and possibly even their necks, when they get to the middle of the river, God has timed it so perfectly, the water begins to diminish and there they stand. God says to Joshua, take a person from each tribe and have them pull a large stone from where the priests stand and take it to the over, other side of the Jordan into the promised land and I want you to build a monument with those 12 stones. And when your children ask you one day, why do these stones stand here? You can say, because this is the spot from which God took us through the Jordan River and delivered us on dry ground. And then God does something even more amazing. He says, then I want you to take 12 other stones from the riverbed, and I want you to build a monument right where the priests stand. So they took 12 from where they were, put them as a memorial, and they took 12 from around the area and put them where the priest stood and you think well that memorial is ridiculous no one will ever see it ah until the dry season when the river was down and people would say why are those 12 stones stacked there and in special moments God would say then you'll begin to see in good season and in poor season I'm always faithful you see God has been establishing memorials for us from day one from the partings of the water the Red Sea and the Jordan River from the circumcision that these men went through because the Bible then says that Joshua took the men across for 40 years they'd been in the wilderness and when they entered into the promised land they were confronted with the fact that they must themselves enter into the covenant with God themselves not based on their family's history and the men went across and they were circumcised there as entering into the covenant with God a promise made in a very intimate way and then they celebrated their first Passover meal since Egypt for 40, you might remember that they were told when you enter the promised land, you'll celebrate this meal on this specific night of this specific month each year. And when they arrive in the promised land, isn't it timing perfect that when they get into the promised land, it's time for the Passover? And they're reminded of how they were delivered from Egypt, and now they have been delivered into the full promises of God. The Bible also says the manna quit. There was no more manna in the morning. Why? Because they were in the land that could feed them. 
flowing with milk and honey, the abundance of everything they needed to survive. The faithfulness of God was undeniable. But there was one more moment that they needed to remember. Verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua is confronted by the presence of God again. You see, this reminds us so much of what we've seen before. Abraham had this moment under an oak tree. Joshua had this moment in a, t- in a place called Peniel. Moses at the burning bush. I told you before that when you begin to see this particular presence in the Old Testament, many scholars believe, and I'm leaning that direction myself, that this was Jesus himself appearing as the commander of the Lord's army. That same position he holds at the end of scripture when all time is fulfilled. And he comes before Joshua, and I love Joshua's question, are you for us or for them? And the answer is profound, neither. I am God, and I am who I say I am. And he says to Joshua, take your shoes off, son. You're standing in a place you don't deserve to stand. And it says, I love this, and Joshua did so. Of course he did. Have you seen this story before, people? Yeah, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and now Joshua. The presence of God reminds us that we have no right to stand in his presence, and it's only by the mediator himself, Jesus, that we don't die that we're not crushed by our sin because the holiness of God does not suffer fools. And so Jesus comes and he mediates. And this liberation requires courage and resolve and it requires our constant reminder of the faithfulness of God. We must not let these reminders slip away as insignificant or I don't need them. We can't say, well, you know what? I just don't have time for all of this right now, but I'll get back one day. No, every day we're reminded, daddy, mom, why are those stones there? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? Why are we baptized for the forgiveness of our sins? Why do we confess our sins and pray? Why do we worship daily? It's not because we're afraid you'll forget because you know you'll forget. So we remind ourselves of these very important things. And what are those important things? Our God is faithful to the end. God's liberation comes only from his mighty arm and for his glory, let us never forget. God is doing what he's doing by his power and he's doing it to demonstrate who he is, to reveal his glory. Chapter six, verse one. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Please don't forget this truth. That city of Jericho is what startled the 12 spies who went in the first time. It was too big. It was too much of a fortress. The army was too great. And here's the truth. They were right. What they had forgotten 
in the reality of seeing Jericho, this empowered city, they thought it was on them to conquer it. The truth is, it was always on God to conquer it. So when they arrive in front of this reality the second time and they see it with their own eyes, God says to them, here's how we're going to do this. No weapons. Put the priest with horns up front. Every day, walk around the city one time silently. Seventh day, walk around it seven times, blow the horn, everybody scream, watch what I do. Now, if you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school classes, this is one of those puff your chest up flex moments, right? Yeah! Put yourself in the place of the Israelites who had never fought a real battle, who had no weapons, no training, no understanding, and ask yourself, how willing are you to raise your hand going, put me in the front? Absolutely not. Are you with me, church? This ask of God is a test of faithfulness of the people and a demonstration of his mighty arm and his glory. Remember I told you the last two weeks, God doesn't need us, but he invites us to join him in bringing everything under his control. So all they were asked to do was listen, think, trust, and obey. The same thing he told Moses. He told Joshua, all this is going to require of you is to do what I ask, to trust what I say, and to obey me. And they do. And the city walls come tumbling down, and Jericho is routed. But God had told them, don't take anything from Jericho. Jericho is not the end game. It is you trusting me and learning that I am your provision. Just like the manna and the quail, I am your provision. But as we know, human nature is undefeated. And they go into their next battle to a town called Ai. It's found in chapter 7, the first 26 verses. And they go into this battle, and it's a smaller town. It's not as big a fortress. They don't have a size of the army. And the people start feeling themselves. And they get defeated, and 3,000 people die. And Joshua runs back to God like, you said you would be with us. We did what you said. And God said, no, somebody has stolen from me and somebody has lied. Somebody did not listen, trust, and obey. And Joshua was like, who, who is it? And God gave him a, some things to do. And it was discovered that a man named Achan and his family, while, de while devastating Jericho and taking the city, that they had found some riches that they kept for themselves. This is quite the interesting story when you look at scripture because this is when I jokingly say human nature is undefeated. Adam and Eve took what was not theirs from God's glory. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira took from God what was not theirs and, and stepped into his glory. And there was death that happened in different ways for everybody involved. Achan and his family are discovered. They're brought before the people of Israel. They are executed for their sin against God, and then they go in the next day and the town of Ai is defeated as God said he would defeat them. When I tell you that God delivers with a mighty hand, I'm telling you, we're gonna see this throughout this entire series. It is God's faithfulness, it is God's power, it is God's will that wins. And when we enter our will into God's, we are messing with his glory. We are not listening, trusting, and obeying. It's a sequel. Can you see it? It's really Exodus, the next generation. It's the story of how God not only chooses who he delivers, but how he delivers and for what purpose he delivers. 
See if you can see what I see. The wilderness wanderings began by sending spies into Cana. It ends the same way, with the spies going into Cana and being given the gift of the land. Moses' life was saved as a baby through the courageous act of a woman, his mother and sister. Joshua and the Israelites are saved by the courage of what? A woman. And don't dismiss that she's a prostitute because God will use anyone in the condition they're in if they will listen, trust, and obey. Moses crossed the people through the Red Sea. What did they do when they got to the other side? They set up a memorial. They circumcised the men. Joshua's first action when he crossed the Jordan was to do what? Set up a memorial, circumcise the men, and celebrate the redeeming Passover feast. Just as Moses, when he first encountered God on Mount Horeb, was to remove his sandals and bow himself in the presence of Almighty God, so would Joshua. His first act as a leader is to come into the presence of God and humble himself. Just as the Lord brought destruction to Egypt and delivered the people out who had blood on the doorposts of their home, Joshua would bring destruction on Jericho, yet those who had the scarlet thread hanging out the window would be delivered by God as promised. Our generation of faith must learn the same lessons our forefathers learned. In other words, what is required to get to Canaan land is the same thing that's required to live in Canaan land. The main thing that we see in Israel's journey is God's faithful commitment to bring his people to freedom by his mighty arm and for the sake of his glory so that like Rahab, the world will know that our God is the real God. Our God is the God of heaven and earth. Our God is the good, redeeming, freeing God. He is faithful. He's a rescuer. He's a liberator. He's a lover of those he has created and he calls us to trust him, to hear his words and to obey, not just in theory, but in everyday life to live this out. So Joshua led his people into a land flowing with milk and honey, complete with cities they did not build and vineyards they did not plant. We are reminded that one day freedom will come and we are being delivered each and every day, those that will choose to listen, trust, and obey. A greater liberator than Moses and Joshua has come. And he has offered himself to you. He is your freedom. He is your hope. He is asking each one of us to listen, trust, and obey. Obey in the big and the little to spend days remembering his faithfulness, showing courage and resolve so that the glory of God might be experienced in your life. And then when your children, your friends, your grandchildren, those people you meet in the intersections of life ask why you live the way you live, you smile and say, because my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer is faithful and good. He has, he has freed me from slavery through the wilderness of this life to deliver me home. And one day I will sit around his table and I will celebrate the great Passover because my God has freed us. So the question this morning is, are you free? Is your story in the sequel of God's goodness written? Are you living it out? Because there's no other life to live than the one that lasts forever. And that's the one who listens, trusts, and obeys 
the freedom Jesus gives us. Let's stand this morning and worship that one, the one who's brought us life. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.